Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service, and I know our numbers are slightly depleted this morning. It's great that you're all here, and we look forward to lots of folks joining us from home. So welcome very much to our morning service, and welcome back to John, who's back up in the pulpit this morning. Uh, we've had him now for the last two services, and this is his third. So, John, it's always great to have you back. Thank you so much. Uh, you remember that Church House have said we should maintain our face coverings throughout the service, uh, and I'm just reminding you about that. The generosity of this congregation never fails to amaze me. A few weeks ago, we had a donation of a head mic for the minister, which John is wearing this morning. That was from an anonymous donor. During the week, we had the donation of a, a larger screen, a large screen for the desk at the back, again from an anonymous donor. I want to acknowledge those things, and in fact, acknowledge everything that people do for Pally Crocken. As we come to our last service of 2021, I think it's good that we just have a minute or two to think back and appreciate the year that we've had, starting with the lockdown, coming to face-to-face -face worship then on Good Friday, the call of our minister, and all of those things have happened. But underpinning all of that are the people who do so much work for the church, the people who look after the fabric, look after the finances, look after the meals, all of that. And much of that goes without any recognition whatsoever. So this morning, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's contributed to Ballycrocken during the year. The things that you've done have really kept us going. And therefore, it's right, in my view, that they should be, I should express my appreciation. So thank you so much indeed for all that you've done to keep Ballycrocken functioning. Next Sunday is our last Sunday in vacancy seems like a long time, but it's not really in Presbyterian terms. Our minister next week is the Reverend Willis Cardner, and that's the last Sunday in vacancy. And then we will be moving the Sunday after that to our new permanent minister. Those are the announcements this morning. John, I invite you to take our service. Thank you. Thank you once again, Billy. Uh, it's good to be back, not that I've ever really been away, but it's good to be back with you this morning again. We begin in this final Sunday of the year with a verse from Psalm 18. And it's verse 28, and it says, You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Let's just commence in a moment in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would let the cleansing waters of your Holy Spirit come into our worship this day, so that as we are here together, whether in person or watching at home online, that we may just have that sense of your presence with us, and that we may worship you from the very bottom of our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our opening prayers is Love Came Down at Christmas.
Once again, join together in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, as we read through Scripture and as we read through the whole of the Christmas story, we remember how well, the angel came and the Spirit came for the birth of John first before Jesus. And we remember how John went out into the wilderness with that call to repentance and to be baptized. And so we pray on this last Sunday of this year that we may be led into repentance and to change our life that we may follow Jesus fully and completely. We confess that we so easily slip into complacent lives. We spend our energy on acquiring material goods that entertain and provide well, a diversion from the realities of life. Awaken us again to the urgent prophetic preaching of John. Move us to repent and strengthen the new life in Christ. Help us to follow him under the guidance of your Holy Spirit, that in this worship service, and each day of our lives, we may be renewed in our witness to the glory of your holy name. We pray in the name of that same Jesus Christ. Amen. In the hope that there are some boys and girls watching at home, if Chris could bring up the first slide for me. I was going to tell you a story which um, begins, if this will move on for me. No, you may move it to the next slide. Chris, for me, it's not going. At this time of the year, we all love to look around and see the lights on outside. It's such a dark, and we've been through this last week or more, has been so dismally dull all week. We haven't seen sunshine, we've hardly seen daylight, it's been so dark. And it just brightens the whole thing up, but most of us don't have our houses done up like this in, in the slide on the screen. Um, I'll do like they do on the TV, you know, where the Prime Minister's doing his briefing, which says, next slide, please. Thank you. Most of us manage something like this. We have the same at the front of the church this morning. A Christmas tree lit, probably not much else. I think the batteries must be gone. Oh, that worked. Oh, that went a whole couple there. I'm going to tell you a little bit, a story about light. It was um, when I was young, I was probably only 12 or 13, and we used to go off to Donegal each summer. And we went to a little village called Duncan Ely in the south, and we stayed in the manor house, and I still remember it was Miss Fibbs owned it. And we loved it. We were there for about three or four years. And one of the things we loved about it was there was no electric. And you had to carry a paraffin lamp up to the bedroom at night. And we thought this was fantastic. So actually, they must have made so much money out of us the last year they brought in electric and we never went back. But one of the things that happened while we were there, 
was my father arranged for us all to go down to the lighthouse at the end of St. John's Point. And you can see on the slide where St. John's Point is. And to have a tour around the lighthouse. The ne next slide, please, Chris. And that's the lighthouse. And if you look closely, we're at the end of the peninsula there, looking back up. You can see the sea on either side. You're looking back up to Donegal. If you give me the next slide, the lighthouse, I've changed that from nautical miles into normal road miles. The beam goes 16 miles, can be seen for that distance. And so I began to wonder as we were climbing up and the lighthouse keeper was telling us this, what sort of light bulb would manage to send a beam of light 16 miles? I knew enough, I knew there was a lens to focus it, but I thought it must be some light bulb. So, if you give me the next slide first, please. What about that one? Do you think that would be big enough to send, that's a finger with a light bulb on it, if you haven't worked out what it is. I doubt that's big enough to send a beam that distance. Okay, next one, just an ordinary torch bulb. Would you think that would work? Somehow, I come down through the park with a dog sometime on these dark nights, and even with a torch, because that's a torch bulb, um, you know, you sort of don't think it's really that bright. Okay, next one, Chris, uh, which is this size, because it's a car uh, taillight bulb. And I'm assuming, you're assuming, that wouldn't be bright enough either. So we'll go to the next one. And that's a good old-fashioned light bulb before we brought in LEDs. And I still don't think an ordinary light bulb would send the beam that distance. So we'll go to the next one. These are just getting bigger. So you think that one might possibly be big enough. But just in case you didn't, if we go to the next one, I thought that one. That's the world's biggest light bulb. If you can see the man standing below it. And if you give me the next one, that shows you where it is. That's the light bulb at the top of that tower. And we knew it couldn't be that one because it would never fit in a lighthouse. At least not the one in St. John's Point. Okay, so I was going to ask you, which one of those do you think it would be? And actually, it's a trick question. Because I give you a clue earlier on, there was no electric. The lighthouse didn't have electricity when we were there. And so it was actually a gas lamp. Now, you know how your memory plays tricks on you as you get older. Well, if we go to the next slide, my memory remembers that as the light in the center of the lenses, an ordinary cooker ring. But I suspect my memory is playing tricks on me. If we go to the next one, that is a gas light that it could be. Uh, it uses acetylene and there were bottles there. They were about to change to be electric at the time they were working on that to actually convert it. But in those days, it was still gas. And it's hard to believe a little light like that could shine for such a distance. So you give me the next slide, please, Chris. But its purpose is so important. 
It's to warn ships to keep them clear of the rocks. But it's more than that in a sense. If you Give me the next slide, Chris. <laughs> if you can just see that just about. Whoop, one too far. Um, if you can see the red line along the back. It's not only to keep the ships off the rocks and to warn them. It's also in a sense to let them know that if they keep clear, they're on a safe passage. And in life, that's actually what we are to do as Christians. We are to warn people, but we're also to show them a much better, safer way to travel in life. That's our purpose. And so in that sense, we are to be lights in the world, a world that is in so much darkness. You think of all the murders and so on going on at the moment. Talk about darkness, even in our own country, in the whole of the UK and in Ireland. It's ridiculous at the moment. It's so sad and so terrible. And we are to shine out and to show people a much better way to live. And so we're going to sing a hymn which isn't very Christmassy, but you can guess what it is from the title. We're going to sing This Little Light of Mine. Let's stand and sing and pray to God. Let us join together in prayer and our prayers of intercession. Let us pray. As we gather in prayer this day, as a community of your people, O God, we pray for ever thankful hearts for the goodness of your creation, for the signs of your loving care of all things we see around us daily, and for our calling into a community 
of the followers of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for his life on earth, for his teachings, for his compassionate words of care, for his challenges to all the ways we languish in self-centeredness and self-sufficiency, for his healing presence, and for his courageous witness against the powers of this world. Through his death on the cross and the resurrection to eternal life, a promise we now share because of him. We thank you for that gift of the Holy Spirit at Christ's baptism in the waters of the River Jordan. It's a gift bestowed on us in this community and in our individual lives. Make us sensitive to the needs of the world about us. Make us wise and discerning in the use of our gifts in work and witness to all in need. Especially give us courage to speak and act against the principalities and powers of this age that grind down your people and damage your creation. Let your loving compassion embrace those in special need today, especially those known to us, those who need help or peace or comfort or support the most. Empower us to be more faithful and diligent in entering into such a ministry of compassion. Be with all of those suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually because of this pandemic. May each know a blessing this day, we pray, as we ask all this. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from Matthew chapter 1. We're reading verses 18 to 25. Let us again hear the word of God. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. 
but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading from his word. We praise him once again, this time in the words of the hymn, as with gladness, men of old. Matthew 1.23 The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Anytime you see E-L on the end of a word, that's Hebrew for God. That's the Hebrew word for God, is El. All right? Often in the Bible it came as Elohim, the I am ending being the plural and used because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the plurality of God. But one night, six o'clock news, the financial correspondent was on and he said amongst other things, the stock market gained today and the value of the pound is up. Hearing this, a little seven-year-old girl asked her father, what does that mean? And the father, trying to make it simple for the child, said, well, it means that the pound is worth more 
than it was. Little girl looked at him and thought for a moment and said, do the shops know this? Well, if you look at the energy suppliers at the moment, obviously they don't know this. But just yesterday, we celebrated the event that massively lifted and raised the value of our human hopes. But as we look back over the week of preparation for that event, we might not only ask, do the shops know this, but also, do we know this? Let's be clear, that first Christmas didn't increase our value. We are the same value both before and after that first Christmas, the same value to God as we've always been. But what it did do was to prove to each of us that we are of immense value to God. The story is told of nine young soldiers who had received overnight passes from their base camp. When morning came, not one of the nine was present at roll call. An hour after their absence was noted, the first soldier straggled back into camp. He was immediately taken before his company commander. I'm sorry to be late, sir, the soldier said, but I had a date. I lost track of time and missed the last bus. I wanted to make it back on time, so I took a taxi. But halfway back to the camp, the taxi broke down. So I went to the nearest farm and I bought a horse. As I was riding along on the horse, the animal suddenly fell to the ground and died. So I did the last five miles on foot and here I am. Although he was really skeptical about this chain of weird excuses, the company commander let the young man off with a mild lecture about the virtues of punctuality. Thereafter, seven more stragglers reported in one by one, each with the same story. Had a date, lost track of time, missed the last bus, took a taxi, taxi broke down, bought a horse, horse fell dead. Finally, the ninth and last soldier arrived. Now, totally exasperated, the company officer growled, What happened to you? The ninth man replied, Sir, I had a date, lost track of time, missed the last bus, hired a taxi. Wait, said the officer. Are you going to tell me the taxi broke down? No, sir, the soldier replied. The taxi was fine. The problem was there were so many dead horses on the road we couldn't get through. Think of what Christmas has become. The Christmas Channel started on TV in October, way before even Halloween. Christmas trees went up in November. It's getting earlier and earlier every year. I'll probably go out of here and spot a sign somewhere to join our Christmas club for 2022 this week. But think of all the things that are Christmas now. Christmas stockings, Santa, music, trees, lights, cards, turkeys, puddings, 
candles, presents, wrapping, ribbons, bows, drinks, decoration, funny jumpers and hats, maxed out credit cards. The list goes on and on and we love it all. Well, except for the maxed out credit card bit. But actually, how much of that list has anything to do with Christmas? And the answer I'm going to give you might shock you. Actually, none of it has anything to do with Christmas. Gift-giving, lights, were all part of pagan religion before Christ was even born. For the first 300 years of Christianity, there is absolutely no evidence that anyone celebrated Christmas at all. And that the Reformation, Presbyterians in particular, opposed celebrating Christmas. It was to be a normal day of work. Why? Because nowhere in Scripture are we told to celebrate it. So as I say, it was a normal work day. But if none of all of that list of things that we use to celebrate Christmas has anything really what has Christmas got to do? Well, let me tell you what has. Let me describe Christmas to you in one word. What is Christmas? It is Emmanuel. It is God with us. What an event to happen. Think about that for a moment. We are so used to Christmas that we have probably never thought about what the world would be like, what our lives would be like, if that first Christmas had never happened. So though this is really quite unpleasant to think about, especially at this time of year, let me take a few moments to describe what it would be like if Christmas never had happened. Well, first of all, we would be possibly here, but we might well hate the Jews and be fighting them because we are Gentiles. We would have or be carving our own God out of metal or stone or wood, or possibly we bought a cheap import from China, setting this up at home and bowing down to it, even though it's a dead lump and useless. For the men among us, if you're married, your wives may well be prostitutes at the shrine somewhere, and wives, some of your husbands, would be the same thing. If the religion of Carthage had become dominant, your firstborn child you would take and throw into the fire as a sacrifice. And like the present-day suicide bombers who have been spun one of the biggest lies of all time that they're going to paradise, and there are 72 virgins waiting for them. Your thinking as you threw your child in the fire would be absolutely similar, that God will really bless you for this sacrifice. Or even if we converted to Judaism and therefore followed the only true God, we would be dragging a goat or a lamb or a dove or the like here this morning. Well, actually, we would have done it yesterday because it was Saturday. For that animal to be sacrificed on our behalf. 
Can you imagine the blood and the smell of all of that? Our lives would be totally different. Not only would we be doing that, but only one person got into the inner sanctuary and only on one day in the year. And all of the rest of us would be excluded. And I won't paint any more of that picture because it all totally changed and forever changed with that first Christmas, with Emmanuel. For we now know that God is with us, individually and collectively. And that makes everything different. Our lives are totally changed by this event. So I hope that that really brings, begins to help us appreciate the marvel at the core of Christmas. What God did for us. How he showed us how valuable we are to him. Yes, still enjoy all the lights, the presents and so on. And the turkey. But they are dead horses thrown on the road of life. If they block you from Emmanuel. They are peripheral to the centre which is God with us. In 1741, an old man was wandering the streets of London. You know who I'm talking about when I tell you his name, because his name was George Frederick Handel. At this point, he was angry at life. His mind kept going back to a time when he was famous and had the applause of royalty and the elite of London. But now his mind was full of despair and hopelessness about the future, and the applause was gone. Others were now in the spotlight, and envy began to possess him. Added to that, <clears throat> a cerebral hemorrhage uh, paralyzed the his right side. He could no longer write. The doctors give little hope for recovery, and the old composer travelled to France to begin to soak in the baths which were said to have healing effects. The hot mineral baths seemed to help, and his health did begin to improve, and eventually he was able to write once more, and his success returned. But then he faced another reversal. Queen Caroline, who had been his staunch supporter, died. And England found itself in hard economic times. And the heating for large auditoriums for concerts was therefore not permitted. His performances were cancelled. And he began to wonder where God was in it all. Then one night as he returned from his walk, Charles Jennings was waiting at his home, and Jennings explained that he had just finished writing a text for a musical that covered both the Old and New Testaments, and he believed that Handel was the man to set it to music. Handel was indifferent, but as he began to read the words which Jennings had put together, but then his eyes fell on such words as, He was despised and rejected of men. 
He looked for someone to have pity on him, but there was no man, neither found he any comfort, any to comfort him. His eyes raced ahead until eventually they stopped on the words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He became aware of the very presence of God. He was aware in a new and a profound way. And he picked up his pen, and as he did so, the Spirit of God was moving, and the music seemed to flow through him. He finished the first part in only seven days, and the second section was completed in a further six days. Many of you will know that this classical work was first performed in Dublin, before it was then also performed in London. And as the Hallelujah Chorus was sung by the choir, King George II was so moved that he stood on his feet to just be amazed at the whole thing. And as tradition has it, people still rise to their feet for the Hallelujah Chorus. But in reflecting on Handel's Messiah, Joseph McCabe wrote this, Never again are we to look at the stars as we did when we were children and wonder how far God was away from us. A being outside our world would be a spectator, looking on but taking no part in life, where we try to be brave despite all the bafflements. A God who created and withdrew could be mighty, but he could not be love. Who could love a God remote when suffering is our lot? Our God is closer than our problems, for they are out there to be faced. He is here beside us, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. He proved that our lives are of such immense value to him. We are worth so much that not only did Emmanuel come to our earth that first Christmas, but he died for us. If only we could see past the dead horses that block our way to the real truth and real worship, to see the very heart of this season, what a value that will add to the way we live. He comes to us wrapped in swaddling clothes of human events. He comforts us in the faces that reflect human needs. He meets us and greets us in the person of our brothers and sisters everywhere, all God's children. The following announcement is taken from a Sunday bulletin. The Women's Guild Free Market Sale will be held on the second Saturday of next month. Anything worth selling will be gratefully accepted. Please, ladies, look around your household for objects you may no longer want to keep, but would rather sell than throw away, and don't forget to bring your husband. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. 
He didn't throw us out or sell us. Rejoice. God is with us in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Rejoice. In and through Jesus Christ, God will restore the genuine value of our hopes and dreams for our lives. Rejoice. Let us clear away through the dead horses littering our lives and celebrate, for we are of immense value to God. And don't forget to bring your husbands and your wives and your children and your sisters and your brothers, for we are to be light in this world. Let us pray. Lord, we are so familiar with the Christmas story that we so easily take it for granted and really are not on our knees just acknowledging the wonder of what you have done for us. What a great and generous and loving God you are. We simply and inadequately praise you our God for the sake of Christ our Lord. Amen. And being the last Sunday of the year, I thought we'd finish this time with at least the tune is appropriate, the Millennium Prayer, which should come up for us. Let us stand as we join together in this.
finish this year and go out into a new year, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and remain with each of us, now and forevermore. Amen.